you know, I never really know what to say, especially if you're new here. I never am going to apologize for the way we are, because <laughs> Jesus made us that way, and if we're wrong, then he'll fix us. And I, used, I grew up in a little bitty Baptist church, and I used to hear the preacher say something wrong that Christians can go to a football game and get all excited and not get excited for the Lord. But then I saw people get excited for the Lord, and then everybody got offended <laughs> at people being excited. <laughs> it's the work of the enemy to put you in a position where you're darned if you do and darned if you don't. That's what's called being a pastor. One or two of you got it. The rest of you go step out in ministry and see if you're able to please all people at all time. I figured out a long time ago I can't, so I just quit trying. Every once in a while, I'm going to look over my shoulder and see who's still following, and those are the people I'm going to work with, and everybody who got offended and left, and they were never supposed to be there in the first place. Jesus built his kingdom on those he couldn't drive away. A.B. Bruce said that. So much offense that came from Jesus and those that stuck with him realized the only thing they lost was their carnal opinions anyway. That make sense? You know, your opinions are framed by a culture. And culture's broken. You guys good? Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. If culture's broken and our opinions are framed by it, then so are our opinions broken. But it's many times, how many times we'll go to, to the place of creating division in a brother or sister over an opinion created by a broken culture. You know, I, uh, there's a lot of things I'll be patient and compassionate with, and uh, I won't swat certain hornets' nests because they're just not worth the fight, but certain ones are, and not only will I swat them, but I will continue to swat them over and over and over until either I'm dead or the hornets are dead. <laughs> And uh, I make zero apologies for the victory that has come over this nation in the last few days. Amen. The only reason anybody has an opinion different than what happened over the last few days is because you have an opinion based upon a broken culture for the last 50 years and you've been trained 
that this is okay, and that if we don't do this, dot, 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 when in reality, 60, 70 years ago, we didn't have those considerations because the culture wasn't near as broken. Once you break a culture, then yeah, you're forced to deal with the aftermath. But just because there's an aftermath doesn't mean you, need, you don't need to put a period to the end of the story. You close off the problem and then you deal with the cleanup. You don't not close off the problem because of the need to clean up. You got a broken pipe in your house, you don't start grabbing towels first. But that's what the church has done. You run and you shut the water off, and then you work on cleaning it up. Just because there's a mess doesn't mean you leave the thing running. Yeah, there's a mess. There's even a mess from this happening, but guess what? It's a good mess to have to clean up. Now maybe those who have opinions that are broken are going to have to go out and actually love some of them little girls who are confused. And you don't get to sit on your little recliner anymore and talk about how what needs to be done. Maybe you can grab one of them and give them hope. Jesus is king. He said this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth. As it is in heaven. It doesn't say on. It says in. We are made of earth. And what happens in this. Should be the same as what happens in heaven. And if you don't see it happening in heaven. It shouldn't happen in this. Period. If it doesn't exist in heaven. It shouldn't exist in earth, regardless of opinion. Because every one of us, including myself, especially myself, will be stripped of our opinions the moment we stand before God naked. All of our opinions will be removed. All of our theology hermeneutical approach it'll all be laid bare and we will be compared to one man and he'll be moved right next to us and God will look between one and the other and see if there's any difference I hope you're ready for that day because your theology is not going to prepare you for it Your theology is just to keep your brain sane while somebody else is attacking your faith. <laughs> okay, I'm done with that. Let's, uh, y'all went so long during worship, I ain't got much time to preach. So let's turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 24. I really want to get into this because I feel like this is something that um, I want to continue. And I'm, I'm glad y'all went long. It was really good. Thank you so much for, for that. 
We took a little break because of the conferences and guest speakers we've had, but we've been on the, on the issue of wisdom, and this is, I think, what, part three or four? We need wisdom in our life. Jesus is the embodiment of the release of wisdom by the Spirit of God. Everything Jesus did was by wisdom. We understand that the worlds were framed by wisdom. You with me? The actual cosmos, the created DNA structure, every atom, every cell was put together by wisdom. When God begins to build something in the earth, he always does it through a spirit of wisdom. When he began to build the new temple under the Solomonic order, he did it from the spirit of wisdom. David had the spirit of a warrior, which is why he wasn't able to build. Solomon had the spirit of wisdom, which is why he was able to build. When, when God releases wisdom into the earth, it's not so that people can be impressed with what we know. It's because something needs to be built and it takes the sons of men to build it. And if we build haphazardly upon broken opinions, then the, cru the, the crust and the core of what we're building upon is going to fall when things fall apart. Because our opinions aren't enough to change people. If you haven't figured that out on social media by now, I don't know if there's any hope for you. <laughs> Just because you post on someone's thread a disagreement. How many of you actually ever changed somebody's mind by posting on a comment in, on social media? It's hopeless. Opinions don't change people. Period. Jesus does. The spirit of wisdom knows how to navigate certain things. But it also knows how to stand up for certain things. And not be afraid of the culture. You with me? I want you to turn to Proverbs 24. Did you get there? Verse 3. I'm going to try to hurry. Those of you who know me, pray for me. <laughs> Proverbs 24, verse 3. So through wisdom, a house is built. Who is the house of the Lord? We are. Through wisdom, a house is built. God himself in your salvific journey, without you understanding it or realizing it, is taking wisdom and interlacing it through every circumstance he's allowing to come to your life so that you might be built. And by understanding, it's established. Okay? It's built. It's established. And by knowledge, verse 4, the rooms are filled with precious, pleasant riches. Like I said in the beginning, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are three separate things. Wisdom is the intention of God. It's the design. It's the blueprint by which everything follows in life. Knowledge is the ability to, to put that into practice, and understanding is the adorning of that practice being played out in people's lives. You with me? So now that we have that established, go back to verse 3. Remember this, through wisdom, a house is built. You guys remember me talking about the verse in Proverbs that says, a foolish woman tears down her house with her own hands. There's a correlation between wisdom and foolishness. Now, there was somebody who got majorly offended when I preached this last message two or three weeks ago because I actually had the courage to lay the blame where it was supposed to be, on them. <laughs> People don't, who don't operate in wisdom 
create chaos in their life, and then they blame somebody else for the chaos. And then they want to make a ministry meeting about how bad the person is who hurt them whenever it was their lack of wisdom that got involved in the situation in the first place. Does this make sense? When we don't operate in wisdom, we would create chaos. When we create chaos, we're operating and moving in an out, outward realm in chaos. And then when we meet people, all they see is the aura or the spirit of chaos on us because that's what we're living in. Even though we're preaching the gospel in our mouth, the, the power and the spirit behind our life is destruction. This is why 1 John says, whoever names the name of Christ must live as Christ lived. Why? Because the message has to be in con conduction with the character that has called it. There has to be that place. Wisdom has to be operative in our life in order for knowledge and understanding to be received by the people. But the alternative to wisdom is foolishness. When we tear things down with our own hands. Does this make sense? You guys can see it in marriages. Any marriage that's ever fallen apart is because it didn't get established or operated in wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to suffer for someone else. And when one person stops suffering for another person, the marriage falls apart. It's real quiet in here. Go to Matthew chapter 16. There's no condemnation if you're forgiven and you've moved on and you're right with God. Praise God. Move and build with wisdom from here on out. Don't repeat the same mistake. Amen? That's like a dog returning to his vomit. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 18. This is Jesus. And he's telling Peter, after the revelation of who he is, God gave Peter a revelation of who Jesus was. And upon that revelation, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I want you to understand this is the first time in the New Testament where the word church is actually written. The law first mentioned in theological approach states that when it's first mentioned in the Bible, it sets a precedent for every other time it's used. Jesus says the word church here. For the first time ever in the Bible. In fact, he had gone through so much ministry up to this point. So many healings, so many issues that he had touched. And he'd never said the word church once. Which means the church is his basis. It's not on signs, wonders, and miracles. To which we all run to the conferences to get. The, the, the defining factor of the church was not the healings and the signs and the wonders. It wasn't even, you know... Uh, the salvation and all those types of things. It was the revelation of who he is. That's who the church is supposed to be based on. The revelation of who Jesus is. And, it, and Jesus was telling Peter here, you don't get that on your own. In my life, to this day, I'm completely blind to any area where I'm seeing God falsely. 
in my life right now. And the reason I know this is because I've had him reveal himself differently and in a newer way and a broader way that completely blew my mind upon what I knew before and I realized I wasn't seeing him accurately. And it's happened over and over and over and over and it will happen again and again and again and again. And the most stuck people in life I've ever seen are the ones that pigeonhole God into a corner and say he's this and nothing more. And all that's based upon a limited experience. Not of who he is. We need a revelation of who God is. Because that's when we're being built. Understand the word he uses here. Upon this rock. Upon this revelation of who I am. That comes only from the Father. I will build my church. What's the word build mean? Any construction workers in here? When you first step up on a job site, just because you're there and see the blueprint, does that mean it's built? Does it happen in one day? Two days? Five days? Ten days? Twenty-one days? Sometimes it can take six months to a year to build a house. In other words, it's a process. And we think our Christianity is supposed to be this miraculous jack in the beanstalk that automatically just rises to heaven and creates heights to, of, of calibers that no man can think of. No, it's a process of growth. You with me? Jesus says, I will build my church. Through what is a house built? Wisdom. Through wisdom, a house is built. And Jesus here says, upon this rock, I will build my church. They have now been illuminated by wisdom, by who God really is in his son, Jesus Christ. And that was the foundation cornerstone upon which he would build it. That we have been become wise concerning who God is in his son. You with me? But ironically, he's telling them this when they hadn't yet seen his fullness. They're seeing Jesus right now through the wrong set of lenses. Do you understand this? He has not yet revealed his fullness to them. Yet they think, we've seen him. And there's a part of your salvific journey where you're convinced you've seen him, and you have. But not in fullness. What was the fullness of the revelation of God to his people? It wasn't the signs, wonders, and miracles, and dead raisings. It was the cross and the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's fullness of revealing who he is to his people looked to his people as if he failed. Are you with me? Through wisdom, a house is built. When God begins to build you, he does it through wisdom. Wisdom will take you to a place where foolishness says it's unwise. Which is the cross. God uses pain to make you. And pain is the thing we're told to run from. Pain is where he was going. 
and they had a vision of Jesus that's not going to suffer, that's not going to die, that's going to be this powerful king and subject all of their enemies to themselves. And we approach Christianity the same way. As if every situation has to bow to us, every situation has to work the way we intended, every situation has to follow the blueprint in which we've created in our mind, which is usually a broken culture that's created in the first place, and then we're trying to bring God into that. And he says, no, I come into, I, you bring your kingdom into mine, and it's, it's going to get absorbed by me. I will build my church. Some of you are being built right now. You're just confused at the entire process. Because it doesn't look like what you thought it was supposed to look like. It hurts more than you realize. You chose things in foolishness and now you're trying to blame the person who hurt you. When all it is is God giving you the opportunity to see the frailty of your choice making ability so that you can choose him and have all that redeemed. When Jesus says take up your cross, it doesn't mean your sin. Because you can't take up your sin. See, here's the thing about a cross. His cross was your cross. Your cross is someone else's. You know how, how off we are in our thinking? That this Christianese we've created, I've heard women say it, men say it, people say it, pastors say it, all of, you know, well, that person's just my cross, or, uh, or, or those dishes, that, those, that laundry is just my cross. No, that's just called life. It's not a cross. A cross is when somebody else is making you suffer. God's watching how you're reacting to it. And you bear that because they can't bear it themselves. So when he says, take up your cross, it's not only yours, it's for someone else. Just as his was for us. He defined the reality of the cross, not us. His cross was for us, our cross is for other people. If we're not suffering for other people, we're not being built. He said this before he went to his cross. He says, I'm going to build my church. But oftentimes the building process looks like being torn down. And you know what the flesh cries out for while being torn down? Encouragement. You just need to encourage me. You've done everything wrong for the last however many years, and you want me to encourage? Encouragement's for people who are doing right. Encouragement's for people who are on the cross going, you can do it, just stay there longer. You're going to make it. Resurrection's on the other side. Encouragement's not for people who've blown their life apart by making dumb decisions and foolishness and tearing their house down. And then all of a sudden, I just need to be encouraged. No, you need Jesus. You need to break. You need to repent. You need to change how you think. And you need to be built by him, which is going to take more pain than you ever realize. You realize that you are God's secret weapon in this generation, but you cannot operate as such unless you operate as his son did, which means you are a sacrifice for someone else. And if your Christianity becomes about you, your morality, your feelings, your opinions, how you feel, what you think, you've missed the point of your own salvation. Wisdom. Build something. For someone else.
God, through the Holy Spirit, built this earth. Like I said in the first wisdom sermon. Not for him. God did not build this earth for himself. He already has a place to live. He built it for us. When you build in the kingdom of God, you're always building for someone else. Do you realize why we're so confused and frustrated sometimes? Because even in our work ethics and our jobs, we still have the mindset where we're building for ourselves. All the while knowing in our head it still will be taken away. We'll still lose it on the day of our death. Our kids will squander it in some sort of inheritance issue. Are you with me? He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We like that last verse, but we don't want to get to the building process. We want the keys now before the building's built. So many people are claiming that latter verse by saying, God's given me the keys. Like, bro, you aren't even built yet. Like, I can give you a, a, a lock set and say, here, this is a down payment for your house, and you can have the key, but without the house, the key means nothing. We have to be built. And I'm going to tell you this, and I know people don't like to hear it, but you need to be told the truth. Building takes time. Everybody wants to come to the altar and go, bro, let me have your anointing. It doesn't work like that. We want to get, make great men and women of God to lay hands on us and impart some anointing. It doesn't work like that. You say, well, what about Elijah and Elisha? That guy served him for 14 years as a nobody. To the point where even one of the kings in the story was like, this guy's at your front gate. Who is it? I don't know. It's the guy who, who helped Elisha, Elijah. Didn't even know his name. And we just want to show up and be built and have it all, the power and the glory. And Do you know where power and glory is actually found? Finding some feet to wash. That's where you're going to find your power and your authority. That's where you're going to win hearts. That's where you're going to change lives. Because opinions don't change people. Service does. Jesus says, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one among you who serves. Right? On this rock, I'll build my church. The church has to be built. It's a process of being built. You with me on this? All right. Every false idea that we have about God is a foundation that we lay. So guess what? Through religion and, and wrong thinking and selfishness, we lay foundations that God has to tear down. So in other words, we're frustrating the grace of God and the work of God in our life by, tearing thing, by building things that he actually has to spend time removing. And then we're wondering why we're not growing as fast as we are because we're creating the foundations that he's having to constantly remove. Do you realize when people walk through this door, if God sends them to me, nine times out of ten, he's sending them to me because I will break off, in Jesus' name, the confines of broken religion off your brain. It's my job, period. 
is to get you redeemed, restored to where you can be the actual army of Christ. He made me to be able to have a hammer in one hand and a chisel in another and just go to work on your brain. And knock off all this junk that you got taught. Because here's the thing. is The more you lay a foundation that's wrong, the more time it's going to take for God to tear it out so he can build right. And you're wasting your own years. You hold your opinions loosely. Please. Romans 15, 20, Paul says this. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named, lest I build upon another man's foundation. Paul was saying this. I would rather go preach where Jesus has never been preached before so I can lay a proper foundation than have to come in and undo another man's work so that I can finally begin to build the house that needs to be built. And the problem we have in America today is there's so much gospel that's wrong, that's not good news, that it takes true people of God years to undo all the garbage that's being placed in our lives so that we can actually be built upon the revelation of who Jesus is. Not only in the earth, but in us. See, I was raised in Pharaoh's house too. A young boy gets radically saved without a, pow- a pastor or anybody leading him to God. Literally, the Holy Spirit just falls on me one day in the front room of my house. Had no clue who Jesus was. Supernaturally born again. I had to be explained what happened to me. All I could say was, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. I had a revelation of my sin, and I had a revelation of his glory at eight years old. And then I got introduced to the church. Worst thing that happened to me. Because I thought everybody got saved the way I did, and everybody felt what I felt, and everybody thought... If this is the reality of God, I'd be playing with my toys and God would just bomb me in my bedroom and I would just fall into the power of God, weeping. I thought everybody had that. And then I got indoctrinated and what I was being told wasn't the same as what I felt in my heart. And I had to spend a long time undoing and unlearning everything I was taught. They meant well. They were just wrong. Not on everything, but on a lot of crucial things. When you're raised in Pharaoh's house, God becomes a merciless accountant. You spend the rest of your life trying not to do any wrong. And I found that the more I loved him, the more I just found myself naturally doing right. And my focus was off. See, a large portion of our life in Christ is stripping and tearing down of a season and a foundation that we laid or somebody else laid by well-meaning intentions. And God has to tear those things down before we can be built. Wisdom is building you right now in your life. It just doesn't look like what you think. Wisdom always operates in the midst of pain and death. You remember one of Solomon's first acts as king? 
right in the center of death. Wisdom comes. You with me? Jesus on that cross, right in the center of death, wisdom is placed. In the hardest times of your life, when somebody else has hurt you or you've hurt yourself or both, there is the opportunity for wisdom. It just doesn't feel like what you thought it was supposed to feel like. Why? Because you have a different foundation of God than what he actually is. It's hard for us to believe that we can love him so much and not know him at all. Or know him very little. But it's, it's true. Because you're talking about the ancient of the days. The great I am. The eternal one. The one who can never be unfolded, expounded, unpacked. Fully realized. Only he himself knows the depths of his nature, his richness, his glory. And yet we sample one small taste and then we begin to define him by the entire experience. Every religion starts because someone tasted God but refused to taste more. Go research it. I have a student revival, student of churches. Go, go research how the Methodists started. The power of the Holy Spirit. Man, John Wesley, Charles Wesley. Whitfield, man, those people tore the nation. <sighs> Services that we've never even seen before. Power. Now look at it today. You with me? See, Abba's intention is so complex, it takes time and wisdom to unfold it. It takes people and circumstances to fulfill his purposes. Do you know that sometimes God's wisdom is to offend you? Because if somebody doesn't shake us out of our own opinion, we're going to continue to be drunk on it. In fact, if you're ever offended it probably means you're wrong. I'm just being real because the Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. When the truth of the word of God comes, it pierces something past the mind, goes into the heart and says, you know, that's right. <laughs> and I need to change. And that's what God's doing. He's constantly building and changing things inside of us so that way he can have a habitation to be able to have his people have rest. Do you realize that when Jesus tells the parable of the story of the kingdom of the mustard seed and it gets planted in the ground and he says it grows up, it's small, but when it grows up, it becomes the greatest of all the herbs and the birds of the air find rest in it. Do you realize all those years of struggle and trial and hanging on and digging deep and going after the water and holding up against the wind and the storms and all the time and experience and the, and the whipping and the, and, and the winds and all the stuff that's going on around them. All of that. All of that. So that the birds of the air can, can hold up in your branches. The birds of the air never represent a good thing in Scripture. All your sacrifice given for people who just want to use you for it. But you're happy to oblige. 
Why? Because the people of God bring rest and shade even to the heathen. Even somewhat to demonic influences find rest underneath our order. Because we've suffered, we've held on, we've grown, we've stayed the point. Through wisdom, we've been built. And people benefit from what's going on in our life. And we want them to. Because we've exited selfish Christianity into a selfless Christianity, which is actually the true gospel. You with me? Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his own mother, his own wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, even his own life, he cannot learn from me. If anyone comes to me, how many people have come to Jesus in here? <laughs> yeah, lots of people come, but not a whole lot of people learn. You can come to the altar and get touched. God's spirit can touch you. I've seen it happen a hundred times. People come in, oh, and they're just crying, and oh, and then they go right back out. And twice the child of hell that they were before they came in. Many people come, not very many people learn. That word disciple means to be a learner. To learn, which means you don't know. <laughs> the, the, the very word disciple indicates we are ignorant of him. And he says the condition of knowing him in his fullness and being taught by him in his fullness is to have hate for your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and even your own life. What that means is, is in comparison... In comparison, the love that you have for other people should seem almost like hate in comparison to the love that you have for him. And you know how many mothers I meet that idolize their children more than they do Jesus? Yet they call themselves believers. You know how many men I meet who idolize their job and their career and their money more than they do Jesus? And yet they saw it, call themselves Christians. Jesus said, the condition of knowing who I am and following and learning of who I am means that I have got to be the most important thing in your life. Not your blame, not your pain, not your criticism, not your doubt, not your unbelief, not your money, not your religion, not your finances, not who hurt you, not who you hurt. I have to be the center, and then you can learn who I am, and I will build you. Does this make sense? Whoever does not bear his own cross... And come after me cannot be my disciple. When you bear a cross, you're bearing something for someone else. You're suffering for someone else. But the moment we start suffering for someone else or someone else makes us suffer, you know what we do? We get really angry. They shouldn't have done that. Well, no, they shouldn't have, but they did. And you're either more like Jesus to be able to take that or you're not. And if you're not, you're now exposed, and your theology is pretty weak if it's not infused in your character. Are you with me? See, pain exposes you. Pain exposes what kind of believer you actually are. Because when Jesus was, was, was riddled with pain, the first thing out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Wisdom was able to apply the lack of knowledge in a pure way. They don't know. He had wisdom 
to understand we didn't know. When we get hurt, we don't have wisdom. We think they should know, and they did hurt me. Well, you hurt Jesus too. If this was about right and wrong, we could just stay in the Old Testament or become Muslims. Seriously. Christians still have that idea today, some of them. Like, if I just you know, get more right done in my life than wrong at the end, I'll be okay. Well, 51% to 49, that's, that's the ratio. He says, otherwise, listen to this first. He said, okay, this is what he says. This is the context. You got to hate all these things to be my disciple. If you don't bear your cross, you can't be my disciple. Verse 28, which of you desires to build a tower? To what a tower? Build a tower. Does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. What Jesus is saying here is if you really want to follow me and you want to build this thing and you want me to build you, you better count the cost of what it's going to be required in your life. Otherwise, you're going to start and everybody's going to go, they couldn't finish. And you're... And that testimony of they couldn't finish is going to be used by the world to reject the same God you tried to give them. You with me? He says, verse 29, otherwise when he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish and all see it begin to mock him. This man was able to build and not be able to finish. You need to be connected to a body, if not this one, another one. Somebody in your life to hold you accountable. Why? Because the gospel that you are trying to give out there, if you ever fall, you are literally taking away the authority of God for many people being born again. You carry such a great power and privilege that even your words are connected to your life, if you don't, even if you don't believe it. It would be better for you never to say you're a Christian than to live opposite to it. The name bears such power and authority that people who see it know that it should be like Jesus. They know it should be like that. And then when they see that it's not, it gives them the excuse not to follow the master you say you love. Because it's more about them than it is about us. But we've made it about us. And they realize that, which means it's the, the power's been sucked out of it. So when we try to make it about them, there's no authority behind it. You live the entirety of your life based upon yourself and your own morality, your own Christianity. When you finally try to go out and share your gospel, you're going to have very little authority. Because the authority of the gospel is in service and self-sacrifice and submission. You with me? The context of the building is the cross. He says, if any man's going to build a tower, the context of that building was the cross. Take up your cross, is what he said. You, you follow me in scripture here now? The context was the cross. If you're going to build, understand, this is what it's going to cost you. Yet he hadn't gone to the cross yet. He's telling people to do things he's about to do but hasn't done yet. They did not have a full revelation of what it was going to cost Jesus. See, see to them it was just still a, a, an allegory, a good story. A type and a figure. Surely Jesus isn't really meaning for me to suffer. He, he's just kind of, you know, using it as a typology for my life. And then they see him suffer and they think, was he even the master? Was he even the Messiah? Why? Because when God takes you to places of death, everybody around you will look at you and go, I don't even know if God's real. And do you know how you prove it? 
you raised from the dead. <laughs> and people look at your life and go, there's nobody can come back from that. But you did. How? Wisdom builds his house. You with me? But some things have to be tore down first. Even in Jesus' life, there had to be a tearing away of the old tabernacle. As perfect as he was, the old tabernacle had to be tore down so that the new one could be built in resurrection power. Everything in the New Testament gospel is based upon the power of resurrection. But you can't have resurrection until there's a death. And we're trying to live a Christianity without suffering for anyone. Especially anyone else. Rarely we'll even suffer for ourselves. This is why working out is so hard. <laughs> we don't want to suffer even on ourselves. Even if it benefits us. Let alone... That my suffering has to benefit someone else and not me? Does this make sense to you? See, foolishness is the power to tear down. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine, right, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew, beat against the house, and great was the fall of it. Do you realize the only difference between the two was the doing? Both heard the word. Both heard the preacher. Both heard the message. The power of the message. They were both influenced by the authority it had on their heart. Both felt it. The emotion was there. The moment at the altar was there. But only one person went and did what was told to be done. The difference between building on sand and a rock is not the correct theology. It's doing the word that was spoken. Why? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I'm asking you to do. In Luke 6, 46, he says, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I'm telling you to do? So many Christians call him Lord and they don't do a darn thing of what he asked them to do. Yet they're still willing to say, well, I'm a Christian. Are you really? Maybe you need to get saved. If you had to ask me what my guess is of the percentage of people going to hell in the church, it would be very high. Because coming to a building does not make you a believer. In fact, the building isn't the church. You used to hear pastors say, don't run in church. I don't know how to run in my own self, but when I jog, I'm technically running in church. Because I am the church. You are the church. We are the church. A building... Is nothing. You with me? I'm trying to hurry, y'all. Uh, see, those that want to be like Christ at any cost, those that want to be like Christ at any cost, the cost of their life, their children, their money, their dreams, their hopes, their plans, they will find him regardless of the loss required. 
But those that want Christ only because of the idea of what it will do to end their current condition will never truly see him as he is, but will sadly be involved in his work without ever becoming his work. This is Matthew 7. I did all these things in your name so you can operate in the name of Jesus without being in the name of Jesus. His, his name has power whether you're in it or not. And this is why so many ministries are deceived because they're using the power of the name when they're never transformed by that same name. We need wisdom to be built. Which means we've got to lay on our faces and understand that everything we think we know right now has to continually be surrendered just like everything else. Lord, I know you've brought me through these things. Thank you for this. Thank you for the testimony that I have. Thank you for these things that you've done in my life. Thank you for the things you've freed me from. Thank you for the revelations you've given me. However, those things are in my yesterday and I technically no longer own them. I'm in right now, and I want to see you as you are, and I want to know you as you are, and I want you to reveal yourself to me in a way I've never seen before, because that's the only way I'm going to know you before I see you, and I'm not going to make my life about blaming people who've hurt me. It's amazing. Those of you who have never pastored for 25 years, you should try it. How many people will make that, what they do your fault? It's a, I'm, I'm still blown away. I, I, I'm, even every, every, every week I'm blown away at people who will, who will wreck their life and then blame the pastor. Like, I, I mean, this is like literal psychosis watching it happen. Like, you are literally insane. You've gone mad. All because I didn't do it the way they wanted me to. Let me tell you something. Nobody comes to Jesus on their own terms. Nobody. I didn't. I can't. You can't. Nobody can't. We come to him on his terms. Period. See, God, listen, God often spends the majority of our Christian life Trying to simply accomplish an exchange of wills. I mean, some of your seasons have gone so long just simply because you haven't come to that Gethsemane place to say, whatever you want, Father. Surrender to God is wisdom. It's the smartest thing you'll ever do. But it's the most painful thing you will ever do. It will cost you everything. And anybody that tells you it won't is lying to you. Does God bless you? Yes. Why? For others. Does God give you financial prosperity? Yes. Why? For others. We've twisted the gospel. Some people are without because others are withholding. See, if the cross is the door by which God used to elevate his son and his people, if the cross is the door by which God uses to elevate his son and his people, 
then Gethsemane is the key that unlocks it. He says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But Gethsemane was one of the greatest keys Jesus used to unlock the power of God in the earth. But yet when the power of God was seen and given, those who watched said, this can't possibly be the work of the Lord. And there are times in your life where things will happen and you're going to say, this can't not possibly be the work of the Lord. And I know new super spiritual people who start rebuking those situations as if they're the devil and they were sent by God. You can't rebuke a cross away. When it comes, you must fully embrace it. Knowing the nature of your father will never let you stay into a season of death for too long. That's why sons can get on the cross, because they know the nature is resurrection. They're not scared of death, because they know death cannot hold them. They're not scared of losing things, because they know God will just return what they've lost. The more you've lost things for Jesus, and the more he replaces, and the more you realize, man, this is just a big merry-go-round. I might as well just throw it off there anyway, and it's going to come back around, and I'll throw it off again, and it'll come back around. Because it always does. That's why you need older people in your life who've lived long enough to tell you that these things work. And that's why some of you young people need to stay in it long enough so that your generation behind you actually has hope to see the gospel working in your life instead of looking around going, it doesn't work. Thank God for redemption. Thank God for redemption and marriages and all those types of things. But do you realize that's not the plan? Do you realize that a generation does need to be shown that two people can stay together happily married for 60 to 80 years if God gives them the lifespan to do so? That somebody needs to look and go, it is possible. So we don't have to keep repeating the same garbage generation after generation. Thank God for redemption. But redemption means that we stop it so the next one doesn't have to go through it. But it's hard. Yeah. You signed up for it. Nobody forced you. Nobody forced you to Christ. Nobody forced you to marriage. I know we've created a gospel that makes a lot of money on victimization. But you're not a victim. You're a possessor of heaven and earth, and things that come your way that hurt you are your key to be able to unlock something for a generation behind you, which means you're never a victim. You're an authority that God has placed into a scenario to gain back something that was lost so that you can give it to a generation who needs it. You're not a victim. My dad left my mom when I was six, so that way I could gain the authority back to be able to show my children this is not happening in our generation. Or I can just decide to be a victim and be hurt because my daddy left me. I'm a possessor. You're a possessor. You're being built. 
It just doesn't look like what you thought. So stop rebuking God in your scenarios and start embracing the things that hurt and ask him to build his church in you. Wisdom is the ability to take on pain for someone else and not be bitter for it. Only wisdom has the ability to forgive. You see somebody who's in unforgiveness, they're operating in knowledge without wisdom. Do you realize why we weren't supposed to eat of that tree in the first place, the knowledge of good and evil? Because we weren't given the wisdom. See, knowledge is the understanding of what's right and wrong. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge without bitterness. See, only God could apply the knowledge without the bitterness. So whenever somebody sins against you and you get bitter, it's you're not operating in wisdom. Why? Because it's about you. They hurt me. When in reality, you've hurt just as many people. <laughs> yeah, there's a line somewhere in your life that looks at you and they, that you're that person, that that person is to you. There's people in your life that you are that person, that that person what is to you. So we need to get off our high horses and step into wisdom and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive me. I didn't know what I was doing. But now I do. Now I know my purpose. Last verse, Hebrews 5, 9. This is about Jesus. I want you to put it up there so you can see it. This is about Jesus. My translation says, and being made perfect. This is about Jesus. Why does Jesus need to be made perfect? I thought he was perfect. And being made perfect. See, we think perfection is sinlessness. It's not. Because Jesus was sinless. Sinless. But he still had to be made perfect. He had to be made complete. Even as a human being, the perfect God order in man had to be made complete through the things which he suffered. So if Jesus being perfect has to be, or sinless has to be made perfect, what about you and me? You're being built, you're being made. So that the author of salvation to, to all that obey him, so he could become the author of salvation to all that what? Not just hear him. See, in your obedience is your cross. Because God's always going to ask you to do for others. If it's not just for himself, it's for somebody else. Hardly ever does God ask you to do something for yourself. Listen to the voice of God in your life. All the, all the years he's talked to you and spoken to you. Go talk to that person. 
Give that person some money. Mow their lawn. All that obey him, take your cross. Be built. Jesus says, I will build my church. Through wisdom, a house is built. You are his house. You just don't like the pain of the process of the construction. And you want it all right now. You want to be the big glorious temple that everybody looks at and goes, wow. No, it doesn't happen without a lot of time. The greater the glory of the house, the longer it takes to build. What kind of house do you want to be? A mobile home? Or a mansion? Do you want to be a squash? Or an oak? You get to choose. One takes a lot more time than the other. The Bible says that we would be called oaks of righteousness. How long does it take an oak tree to, to, to grow? Almost an entire generation. In other words, the things that you grow in your life many, 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 many times aren't for you. When you plant, if you go home and plant an acorn in your front yard, chances are really good you're not going to see it reach maturity. But you're not doing it for you. You're planting it for someone else. He said that we would be called oaks of righteousness. That our righteousness in him would be planted so deep and so firm that it would affect generations of shade to people coming behind us because we've been built by wisdom. You with me? If you and I don't forgive those who've hurt us, then wisdom never has the ability to grow in our life or theirs. The key word on the cross was, Father, forgive. Because Jesus wants his church built. Wisdom is the ability to forgive because you're looking past the knowledge of the sin and the pain into the purpose of why it was given in the first place for resurrection. Just take a second and ponder all the hard things you're going through and have gone through, whether they're by your hand or by somebody else's hand, and stop and go, wait a minute, maybe I'm missing the point. Maybe God is trying to build me through these things and I've been spending my entire time trying to run from them or change them. See, pain will expose you. You'll know real quick how deep somebody's Christianity goes whenever they don't get their way. Because the true generals, the true warriors, the true sons of God, they've already made up their mind that this probably isn't going to go my way. <laughs> so, let's just do it anyway. With me? In, in, in doing what God has asked me to do in my life, it is never one time 
been even remotely close to anything I thought it should have been. But it's been beautiful. And I realize as I look back, he was much more full of wisdom than I was. You can stand with me. Sorry for going long. Wisdom is the cost of being built. It's the cost that it takes to be built. So I just want you to take a second and, and ask yourself in your life, you're building, God's building a tower in you. You're building something for him. There's an obedience that you need to come into. Count the cost. Ask him right now, God, you know, and I didn't get to it, but in the next story he tells, he says, what, what king who going to battle? With twenty thousand or with ten thousand goes against another king with twenty thousand. The context of the scripture is basically you're outnumbered. <laughs> you're always going to face an enemy bigger than you. You're always going to face a situation larger than you. You're always going to face something harder and more difficult than where you're at. So count the cost. In other words, that king has to understand I'm okay to lose all my people all my empire, and even my own life to win this battle. So if that's you, and you want to rededicate these things for your seasons or hardships and trials that you're going through and say, God, this isn't about me anymore, and I've made it about me, and I'm sorry. Just do that now in your heart. Hear their hearts, Father. Those that have been selfish and selfishly consumed their situations and circumstances that you've given them for blessing and you've given them for resurrection, that they would stop and say, wait a minute, you've given me this for, for, for my good. To be built. To lose the part of me I needed to lose anyway and gain the part of me you've already given. So I just repent. I changed how I'm thinking about the circumstances in my life, the things that are going right, the things that are going wrong. They're all for you, Lord. And the cost it takes to be built in this, I want to be able to pay it. So give me grace and mercy to be able to extract that price from me when it comes. And I would freely give my life for your kingdom, for your people, and for your gospel. Hear their heart right now, Lord, and move in them deeply. Restore peace back unto them, because that's what wisdom does. It brings peace, because it, it takes away all the fear of the pain, of the cross, of the loss, of the death. And it brings peace and understanding that this is how it's supposed to be so it can be trusted. Because you will not lead your people to a place where they will not rise from the dead. I love you, Abba. Thank you for your nature. You can never be anything other than what you are. Teach us who you are. Show us the sun. And we might be like him, but we will see him as he is. In Jesus' name we ask these things. And bless your people.